Amen. Amazing love. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And uh, we'll pause our uh, series uh, that we were in for several weeks uh, on Song of Solomon uh, over the next several weeks. And we'll come back uh, closer to spring. Uh, Next week we'll be talking about the goals of a believer for 2023. And we'll talk about some of our goals here at Crossroads that we're setting and different things that we're looking forward to in 2023. Uh, This is a brand new year and a lot of stuff coming in 2023, uh, if you're visiting, I was telling somebody before the service, uh, we uh, are in the preliminary phase of all of our uh, construction and getting a lot of information in, uh, meeting with our consulting uh, firm about uh, relocation, rebuilding, all of that, and uh, supposed to have a meeting at the end of January to discuss kind of next steps where we go from here. And uh, two weeks ago, the board, uh, Augusta County Board of Supervisors, approved our location to uh, start a Christian school. And that'll start next, uh, I say next, this fall, uh, which is a blessing. Yeah, uh, you can clap for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But uh, just excited about that. And uh, we uh, sent out a call yesterday afternoon uh, inviting you to come with us right after church this morning. Miss Vanessa and her family are here today. And uh, right after church this morning, we're going to go down the street. To the academy building, and uh, we got permission last night to be inside. Uh, so we're going to go inside the building today and let everybody just kind of see the space, um, to get a sneak peek, and we're going to pray together over the space and uh, be in there inside and outside, and just kind of be there and uh, excited. Uh, so if you would like to go with us and pray uh, over the location of Augusta Christian Academy, we invite you to go with us and uh, just pray there in the parking lot, and then go inside. And, Uh, see the space for a couple minutes uh, so you can kind of see the process begin to start. They're supposed to start construction over the next couple weeks and we are excited about all that the Lord has in store for us uh, at Augusta Christian Academy later this year and then all kinds of stuff coming uh, as a result of the ministry here. So hope that you're uh, got your seatbelts fastened, you're buckled up, ready to go. It's going to be a wild ride this year and look forward together. It's good to see some folks visiting in town. Babers got family here to see and uh, the Hartleys have family here. And uh, If you have family visiting, welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of our service today. And I see Addison over here, and so glad that you guys are here, and uh, so glad that you guys are in the house. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And uh, let's take a walk and look at the do's and don'ts of communion. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to communion, uh, and we'll talk some of those things, but Really just looking at uh, the do's and don'ts, what are the black and white, uh, the non-negotiables when it comes to uh, communion? How am I supposed to view this special ordinance uh, that the Lord has given to the local church? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and begin reading in verse number 23. That's where we're going to pick up our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 23. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for your love. Lord, I ask that you please bless our time together this morning. Please search our hearts. And Lord, if there's something in our heart and life that's unpleasing to you, Lord, please forgive us. Please cleanse us as we come before your table in just a few moments. Lord, help us to be ready for this very special, very sacred act. Uh, Lord, thank you for the ordinances that you've given to the local church, Lord, communion and baptism. And uh, Lord, we understand that these two events have nothing to do with our salvation, but paint a beautiful picture of our salvation. And Lord, the great lengths that you were willing to go to show us your love for us. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts, please speak to my heart, cleanse me of any unconfessed sin in my life. Help me to be clean this morning as I preach to your people. And if there is someone here today that came into this room, and Lord, that they don't have Jesus as their personal Savior, please show them their greatest need today is you. We love you, and thank you for loving us and showing your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What are the do's and don'ts of communion? Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write down, do remember, don't reject. Do remember, don't reject. Paul is writing to this New Testament church and he's troubled by how they're treating this very special time. This is an event to be honored. It's to be treated with special attention and detail. And they were looking at it as just being another time to get together with friends and fellowship. And uh, While they were fellowshipping, they were only inviting specific friends, their own specific circle of influence. Their uh, clique would be our word today. And while they were excluding others from participating. In the first 22 verses, Paul really just shames them for what they're doing. Building up to, uh, culminating up to this uh, special time where Jesus met with his disciples. And, and he talks about and tries to focus on why they would commemorate this. Uh, number one, the thing that he mentions first is he talked about how Jesus suffered. How he suffered. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to gloss over it. He tried to show them and remind them what Jesus went through. He says in verse 23, he said, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. That very same night, he met with the disciples, the upper room. You know the story. He met with them and shared that last meal with them. But why is, what is the significance of communion. Why is that? Because it paints a beautiful picture. See, they knew that Jesus had died for them. They knew how vital his death was, but they had diminished the value of this special time. They had diminished the value to the point that they were not giving it the honor that it deserved. And we know as well, don't we? We know that Jesus died on the cross. We know what his death represents. But do we diminish the value by overshadowing it with other things? By looking and seeing other things are more important. Richard Baxter said, Nowhere is God so near to man as in Jesus Christ, and nowhere is Christ so familiarly represented to us as in this holy sacrament. Mark chapter 14, we see the text in verse number 43. It, it says, And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss... 
that same as he. Uh, that term of endearment, that uh, literal showing of love and respect and endearment. And uh, Judas uses that to signify who the Messiah was, who Jesus was. It says, hey, who I kiss, that's the guy. He's the one. And verse 45, and as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him. Jesus, Judas made a beeline and said, Master, Master, and kissed him. We knew that this was the moment where they put two and two together. Where Judas was the one. He was the one who Jesus had talked about in John chapter 13. Being the one who would betray the Son of God. And Jesus knew that it was going to happen as God himself. But it didn't make it any less painful. He suffered physically for us. He suffered emotionally in that moment of betrayal. And when we come to this place, we're given a choice. Do we regard this time? Do we recognize the suffering of our Savior that He went through for us? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. We looked at that despising, that suffering, and many times we just, eh, you know, it's no big deal. Yeah, it happened 2,000 years ago. We're empathetic about what Jesus went through, but do we remember the suffering and why he suffered? We see not only did he suffer, he also symbolized. Paul talks about the body and the blood. He talks about the bread and the wine. and He talks about what Jesus did and compares it to these elements. The bread and the little wafer that represents the Lord's body that's in this little cup that you received on the way in this morning. He talks about the wine, the juice representing the Lord's body that was shed, or the blood that was shed on the cross. But it was so much more than that. It showed just how much Jesus loved us. Just how far Jesus was willing to go to prove that he wanted us. That he wanted to redeem us. That he was willing to do whatever it took to redeem sinful man. That's how far. That was the price of our redemption. And see, we were the sinners. We deserved the punishment, not Jesus. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God committed or showed, proved his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, As it is written, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. No one living or who has ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ who is sinless, who's perfect, who has lived a perfect life, who doesn't need forgiveness. And see, God will let you and I pay our own sin debt. He is willing to do that. He is willing to let you and I pay for our own sin if we so choose. That's not his desire, but he is willing to allow you and I. But the price of that is an eternal price. See, sin is an eternal thing. Sin passed on from generation to generation from the fall of man in Genesis chapter number 3. Sin must be paid for eternally. And we can pay that sin debt ourselves. But we must be separated from God for all eternity to pay it ourselves. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus' death on the cross represented when he died for the sins of man. See, it does me no good to know about what Jesus did. It's just like a gift that you received at Christmas this past week. It has to be 
received. The gift is not good to you unless it is received. You know, we we talk about giving gifts, and uh, I'm going to ask somebody to come up here and help me just a second. I got to find uh, the right person. And uh, Zach Hardison is in the house today. Zach, come up and help me, if you will, please, sir. And uh, Zach is the smartest man in the room. There's no doubt about that. And uh, But Zach and Kristen got married here several years ago. And uh, the Babers, you have awesome in-laws. Awesome in-laws. Good to see you, man. Um, this, I'm going to tell you what this is and then ask if you want it, okay? All right, this is, in this gift, a $25 Starbucks gift card, Okay. All right, no strings attached. This is a gift. You can have it. Do you want it? You don't drink coffee. Okay. All right. Which makes it even. Okay, so here it is. You don't want it, but you'll take it for your wife. All right, so there is no strings attached to this. This is yours. Okay. All right. Now, let me me ask a couple questions here, follow up. All right. I told him what this was. This is great. This makes it even better. Okay. All right, but. I told him what the gift was, and you'll open it in a minute, or your wife will rip it open before I'm done preaching. Uh, but uh, there is a $25 Starbucks gift card in the bag, okay? You had a choice. I told you what it was. I even prepared you for it, told you how much it was worth and all the value involved. So you knew when you made that decision what you were getting, all right? You already knew, hey, this is good, but you know, I'm, I'm going to give it to somebody else, okay? All right, so here's, here's my point in all this, all right? There's a gift. He could have said, I don't want it at all. And I'm not, he's not going to use it, but he's going to give it to somebody else. Now, he could have said, I don't want it. Just, just give it to somebody else completely, in which there would have been a conversation on the car ride home. Okay, like, What did you do? Uh, but here's the, here's the bottom line. A gift must be received. It does Zach or Kristen no good for him to walk back in his seat empty-handed. Nothing. That gift has to be received, and he's got the gift. He's going to go sit down, and your wife is going to be very happy. All right, thank you for your, tel- for your time and your help. Okay, now here's, here's the bottom line. Zach might not receive the gift, but that gift is going to be used by someone who wants it, somebody who wants it. The bottom line is when we have, and the paper's already coming out. I hear it, all right? Uh, is preacher lying, you know? Uh, but when we look at a gift and we look at what we have, The gift is Jesus. And it does you and I no good to know about the gift, to know that the gift card's in the bag, to know that there is a price that has been paid. $25 has been paid for that gift card. It does you no good unless you receive the gift. You will not be able to use the gift without receiving the gift. You won't be able to walk up to the counter, the barista at Starbucks, and say, hey, I want to get a coffee. And they're going to ask you, how are you going to pay for it? You want to use your app? You want to use a card? You want to pay cash? You're, they're going to ask you how you're going to pay for it. No, I, this, I got this gift card. Uh, it's at my house, but I got this. That's how I want to pay for it. It does you no good until you receive the gift and you exercise using that gift and you pay. Now, here's the bottom line today before we move on. Have you received Jesus? Have you received the gift? So many people walking around today, they know about Jesus but they've never received Jesus. They've never said, Lord, I am nothing, you are everything, and I need you in my life. They've never had that moment, that heart cry moment, where they have received the gift. The gift is Jesus. Yes, he was born in a manger, but he didn't stay in a manger. 
Yes, he went to the cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. Yes, he went to the tomb, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He is the gift. But have you and I received the gift? That is the question that you will stand before God and you will know the answer. And if there's any doubt, any hesitation, any wondering in your mind, have I received the gift? That's what you need most in this life. Not a gift card, not a brand new outfit to show off on January 1 at church. You need Jesus. That is the gift. So don't, do remember, but don't, don't reject. Don't reject. Uh, number two, do participate. The do's and don'ts. Do participate. Don't pretend. Do participate. Don't pretend. See, Paul tells the church what Jesus did, and then he transitions into how they can take part. Uh, number one, we see the timing that's mentioned. The timing. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. As often. Now, this was never meant to be something like salvation where it's a one and done. You receive Christ and you never have to recognize this again. This is an event that continues on. This is something we do often, the Bible says. As much as you do it, you're showing the Lord's death. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. While there are no stipulations on how often, we do know under, understand that this is meant to be a continual event. This is something that you do again and again and again. And you might say, well, uh, you know, Pastor, how often should we do it? Some churches do it every single week. Some people do it, some churches do it once a month. Some do it once a quarter. Some do it once a year. The importance is this, that we participate, that we're involved. And salvation is a once-for-life, once-for-eternity event but communion should be repeated as a reminder of what he's done as often as you need to be reminded. As often. But it's also a reminder to remain clean in order to participate. In order to participate, James Montgomery Boyce said, At the heart of the present significance of the Lord's Supper is our communion or fellowship with Christ, hence the term communion service. In coming to this service, the believer comes to meet with Christ and have fellowship with Him at His invitation. The examination takes place because it would be hypocrisy for us to pretend that we are in communion with the Holy One while actually cherishing known sin in our hearts. How often do you need cleansing? How often do you sin? See, if your requests for forgiveness take place more than once a year, you should probably partake in communion more than once a year. Because we need reminding the great price that was paid for us. We need reminding of what he did for us. Psalm 32 and verse 1, blessed is he whose transition is, or transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The timing that's mentioned. Then number two, we see the telling in verse 26. What are you pointing to when we participate? Are we just drinking some juice and, uh, you know, uh, eating a wafer? And, you know, when we were kids, we would sneak back in the kitchen and we would grab that grape juice and we'd get all the little cups that hadn't been touched and we'd just, you know, just fill them. And, you know, loving people would say, oh, isn't that sweet? Uh, there's more to it than that, okay? Uh, it's special. Uh, this is a special time. 
But we all have traditions that we honor from time to time. We did some this past week. Maybe it's a, a movie that you watch on Christmas Eve or the week before Christmas. At our house on Christmas Eve, it's Polar Express. Every single Christmas Eve, it's Polar Express. And uh, that's just our tradition. And so uh, traditions, they're special. Uh, maybe it's uh, something that you make with your family. Maybe it's a place that you go or you go to see Christmas lights or whatever. We all have traditions. But see, this that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is not a tradition. It's a command. See, traditions are something that if you get around to it, it's great and it's special. But it's not required. Communion is not a tradition. It's a command. It's a requirement. And when we look at communion... We're saying is his death means something to us. When we partake, we're recognizing that his death is significant. Why is it such a big deal? Because it tells us in Romans 5, 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did Jesus die for you? Yes. Then you're one of the ungodly. He died for your sins and mine. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. See, his death means everything to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. See, the cross means everything. The cross, even though it is a symbol of death, means life for us. Means life. But are you recognizing the significance of his death? We see the telling, we see the timing, and then number three, we see the truth. Verse 27 says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood. Paul shifts gears again and tells us about his death, yes, but why we should participate. And he begins telling us about something that we can mess up in this process. Something that we can do wrong in the process. It doesn't make sense. How can I be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus? It's not like I was there when he died. But in reality, we were all there when he died. See, our sin was there. We, by nature, are sinners. That means a part of us was there when Jesus died. We were guilty. We were condemned. My sin there. I was present. At the cross. Every person who has ever lived was there also. Every person. Because my sin is a part of who I am as a sinner. This isn't about being worthy or not to sit at his table. Salvation makes us worthy and allows us to sit at the table. This is about coming to his table and being clean. This is about the manner in which I approach his table. Am I coming to the Lord's table with indifference in my heart or an unrepentant heart? Is there something in between me and him? See, he's going to talk about the punishment of coming before him unworthy in a minute, but there's a requirement to coming to his table. I have to be clean. We've all heard our mom or spouse or somebody in our family, grandma, say, you wash your hands. You wash your hands before you come to the table. 
When you come before the Lord's table, it's wash your heart. Make sure your heart is clean. Make sure that you are clean. And see, there is a difference between being clean and being clean enough. You know, uh, grandma's pie is waiting. Grandma's turkey's waiting. You know, you run in the bathroom, you just, shh, I'm clean. There's a difference. Being clean and being clean enough. And you might think that you're clean enough, but are you clean? First John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, or maybe that we're clean enough, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in verse 10 it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. See, it's easy to overlook our sin and see the sin of somebody else. Paul Tripp said, Sin plays havoc with our spiritual vision. Although we're able to see the sin of others with specificity and clarity, we tend to be blind to our own. And the most dangerous aspect of this already dangerous condition is that spiritually blind people tend to be blind to their own blindness. Spiritually blind people tend to be blind to their own blindness. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not that bad of a person. I mean, come on. But the Bible says we're all sinners. There are no big sinners and little sinners. We're sinners. Someone said, the sins of the wicked pierced Christ's side, but the sins of the righteous pierced his heart. The sins of the wicked pierce his side, but the sins of the righteous pierce his heart. See, our sin is what keeps us away from Jesus, not close to Jesus. He is not connected to our sin. And the question becomes, how clean do you want to be when you stand before God? How clean do you want to be? You wouldn't dare go change the oil and have grime underneath your fingers and come to the dinner table and grab that clean white linen napkin and put it all up underneath your neck and grab silverware. I'm ready to eat. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can pretend you're clean, but the one person who knows you better than you know you knows the truth. See, we're told to remember, don't reject. Do participate, don't pretend. And then lastly this morning, we see do examine, don't exclude. Do examine, don't exclude. See, if there was nothing we could do about it, we might as well not even bother trying to ask for forgiveness. Not even bother trying to get clean. And that's when Paul gave them an answer to the problem. He talks about the process in verse number 28. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Examine himself. We all know about a medical exam and going to the doctor's office and how it begins. You sit there for an hour in the room waiting on somebody to come in and talk to you. That's where it starts. But while you're sitting there waiting, your mind begins rolling of all the questions that are going to be uncomfortable that you already know you don't want to answer. There's going to be a, a probing of information where people are asking you questions and the doctor or the nurse is going to ask you things that you're uncomfortable with. Things that you really don't want to do, they're going to suggest to you. And the temptation is just to kind of rush through and get all of it out of the way. You know, just, hey, I'm just here for the, for the status quo. Get me out of here and let me go on my life. No, that's about how we feel. 
But that's all good until he says something like, you only have a few months to live. Then the examination takes a turn. And you start thinking, how do I get every bit of good out of the time that I have left? How do I squeeze every ounce of opportunity out of what I have left? Your perspective changes. Then it's, doctor, tell me everything I need to do to be able to get every bit of good out of what I have. Our perspective has changed. And that's the exact same way that we should come before his table. Our perspective has to change. When we look at ourselves, when we examine, Lord, you've given me a certain amount of time left. How do I maximize what you've given to me? How do I reach my full potential? David said it like this in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David said, Lord, search me. Look and see if there is anything that needs to be cleansed. Anything that needs to be removed. We're not just eyeballing it. All right, you know, it looks good enough. We're getting out the microscope. We're asking the Lord to search every nook and cranny of our heart looking for anything that needs to be removed. And it's not just the sins that I commit. It's the sins that I omit. Remember those things that I know that I should do, but I choose not to? Those things that I know that I shouldn't do, they're hard enough to stay away from. But then there's some things that I know that I should that I don't. That's what James said in James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Spurgeon said, there is mercy for a sinner. But there is no mercy for the man who will not own himself a sinner. Are you a sinner in need of forgiveness? Will you examine yourself? You know, and I love the fact that Paul points out that you're, not, that you're to examine yourself. You see that? Verse number 28. But let a man examine himself. Did you realize that a spiritual calling of God on our life is not to be a spiritual detective? Oh, man, Pastor, did you see what they did? Oh, Pastor, did you hear about them? Did you hear about her? Did you hear about their kids, their family, what they did at their house last week? Did you hear how late they were up last night celebrating fireworks? Uh, they kept me up till 3 o'clock. Did you hear about that? You're not a spiritual detective. Examine yourself. But let a man examine himself. Don't worry about other people. You and I have enough to worry about with us. With ourself. Let a man examine himself. The process. But then we see the punishment. Look at verse 29, 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. There's that word again. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. It's almost like Paul anticipates people to push the envelope. People to buck this information. He gives them the analogy that would be widely understood. And I love how he words this. He says, you know those people who just died? Those people who were sick? Those people who have illnesses going on in the church that you guys know their names? He didn't call names, but he could have. 
He said the reason that they died, the reason some of them are sick, the reason some of them died is because they did what I'm telling you not to do. Now, wow. Imagine being in the service and knowing somebody who, hey, I, I know how they lived. I, I, man, I, I know that Paul's talking about them. Paul's talking about the reason that they're dead is because of this. That's how serious the Lord looks at this. He didn't call them by name, but he could have. And in our life today, those that come before the Lord's table unworthily, you do so asking God to judge your life. You're literally begging God to take out his wrath in your life. Now, I don't want to do that. I don't think anybody in their right mind wants to do that. Coming before the Lord's table and saying, God, I'm begging you to do something against my life. It doesn't work that way. See, I want mercy and grace. I want it to be new every single morning. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Lamentations 3.22, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I thought about it like this. It's because of His mercy that He gives us a chance to ask for more mercy. It's because of His mercy that He gives us a chance to ask for more mercy. Someone rightly said, "God is uh, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace and mercy. Dave Harvey said, Mercy explains how a holy and loving God can relate to sinners without compromising who He is. Mercy explains how a holy and loving God can relate to sinners without compromising who He is. The process, the punishment, and then lastly this morning we see the purity. Look at verse 31. How can we stand pure before Him? Pure enough to come before His table. Verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. How is it possible to come before the table of a holy God, and partake in something this special. How is that possible? How can that be? We examine ourselves so that judgment can be disarmed at the hands of a holy God. We judge ourselves. Uh, the British author and preacher Alan Redpath was staying at a home where there were two boys in the family. One night the family went off to the service and left the boys at home. When they got home from the service, there was a strange silence in the house. The boys were nowhere to be found. Uh, they called the boys, no answer. They went in the living room and there on the table was a pile of broken pieces of a vase and a note. The note said, Dear Mom and Dad, we broke your vase. We are very sorry. We have put ourselves to bed without any supper. Signed, Jimmy and Joe. Alan Redpath told that story and then he said this. What did you think that father did? Do you think he rushed upstairs and hauled the boys out of bed and gave them a thrashing for breaking the vase? No, indeed. They had judged themselves and judgment was disarmed. When we judge ourselves, we are able to disarm the judgment. In our lives today... Is there anything in your life that's displeasing to God? 
Would you judge yourself to disarm God's judgment? Would you ask the Lord to forgive you of whatever that is? Whether it's something that you have done that shouldn't have done or something that you know you should do and haven't yet done. Would you judge yourself? Let a man examine himself. See, he makes communion available for those who are repentant. Do you qualify? Do you qualify for partaking in something that is so special, so sacred, so holy, that paints a beautiful picture of the Lord's suffering for us? He suffered for us. He bled and died. Yes, He rose for us. But when we come before His table, do we qualify as repentant sinners in light of knowing that we could accept the judgment, but why? Why would we accept the judgment ourselves when He has made it so clear that He is willing to forgive us if we'll simply ask Him? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As we prepare for our time of reflection and invitation, let me just ask you two questions. Number one, has there been a time in your life when you have received the gift. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know that your sins have been forgiven. Maybe there's never been a time in your life when you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior. It's not something outlandish that He expects. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's simply acknowledging what He did on your behalf. And maybe you're this morning you would say, hey, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that God's Word is very specific and very clear that every person has sinned. There's no perfect people in the room. There's no big eyes and little U's. We're all, we all start on the same playing field. We're all sinners. But we have a holy God who sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin. Who loves you and I enough to sacrifice Himself. But it's not good enough that you just know about Jesus. Has there been a time in your life when you have received Jesus? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? And if you don't, man, I challenge you today, get that settled, to know that you're on your way to heaven. There is nothing like that. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that we can know that we're on our way to heaven. So I would challenge you, if you're not saved this morning, you're not born again, you don't know that your sins have been forgiven, start there by simply admitting what you know that you are a sinner and telling God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know what the penalty is for my sin. And then thank Him for dying on the cross in your place. Thank you for taking the cross for me. And then ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Forgive me my sin, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And trust Him to do that. I challenge you to do that. And if you've already done that, you know where you're going one day. You know that your sins have been forgiven. Is everything between you and the Lord settled? Do you have peace in your heart between you and Him? Or is there something in your life that needs to be confessed? Maybe there's something that you need to talk to Him about this morning. Before we partake, and we're going to partake together. And it would be better if you don't partake at all than you would partake unworthily. And you would come before the table and try and hide, try to pretend when you and your heart The Lord has already shown you there's something there. 
It may be a phone call that you need to make. It may be walking across the auditorium and apologizing to someone to get something settled and clear the air before you partake. It's that big of a deal. Remember, Jesus gave the principle of coming to the altar and realizing that something was not right with a brother and said, leave your gift at the altar, go make things right, and then come back to worship. That's the significance and the seriousness of what we're getting ready to do. And I hope that you'll take time to search your heart and make sure that you are clean. If there's something that we can do to help you, our personal workers will be down front in just a moment. Be happy to pray with you and whatever you may need. Father, please bless our time of invitation. Thank you so much for the power of the cross. Lord, how deep the Father's love is for us and how you prove your love for us. Lord, I ask that you please help us to examine ourselves. Help us to search our heart. Lord, whether people come forward or sit in their seat, whatever, help them to speak to you during this time. and Help them to search their heart. And Lord, ask Help them to ask you to search. And Lord, please do a work that only you can do in our hearts and lives. Search us this morning and help us to be clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Our personal workers are down front. If you need someone to pray with you, to talk to you, encourage you, Pastor Tim's going to lead us in a song. Let's sing together. If you need to come, talk to the Lord about what he's talking to you about.